Thank you, Spate. We are finishing our study in the book of First Peter, and it has um, it has been a joy to me. It has um, it's 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 been a just a an amazing time to to dig into God's Word uh, during this time, during these times that we face. And uh, one of the things that I was reminded of this morning. Um, and I think this is true. I didn't go back and look at the calendar. It's either this week or next week that we were supposed to be at family camp. And uh, that is a time uh, where we gather as a body together and spend a whole weekend together. And uh, it is things like that, that, is, that those type things are tough to consider, um, that we're not able to be together um, like that. Um, so today, as we are looking at the close of this letter um, I want you to see that what Peter is doing is Peter, as he has written this letter, uh, you're going to see Peter's heart. And, and the other thing that you're going to see is, and I'll explain this in a moment, but you're going to see your pastor elders heart, the, the elders and pastors of this church. I hope that you see that. I'm reminded um, before we uh, came to the Bible church, and I'm not going to expose which child it was when he was young. Uh, was in a Sunday school class, and I don't even know what the Sunday school lesson was on, but his teacher, every time we see her, will still, she still laughs about this. She pulled, she was going through the class, and she asked them to do some type of activity, and then she went by each one of them and said, hey, what is your heart telling you? And one of my sons, she said everybody was telling them different things, and when she got to one of my sons, he said, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> So you're not going to hear bump, 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 hopefully this morning. Hopefully this morning what you will hear is you'll hear the heart of this apostle towards this church that is being persecuted and who is going through difficult times. And what I want to ask you is this. How would you close this letter? How would you close this letter? If you were writing to a group of brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, and the persecution is only going to get worse. And the expectation is probably that some will lose their lives. How would you close this letter? This letter that is going to be circulated to churches and groups in Asia Minor and read out loud in these churches. And the key, and what you will see right off the bat, is that Peter kept the main thing, the main thing. Look at verse 12 with me. He says in the middle of this verse, I have written you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the true grace of God. This letter contains the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Now I'm going to speculate here, but I think I'm probably right. I think in Peter's mind, this is probably the last letter that he thought he would be writing to these people. I, I think there were two things against him, one against him and one against the church. He may have very well thought that some of these Christians would be killed and that they would never hear or read anything else from him or if he were able to write them again by the time the second letter got to them that they may have passed. I also think that he probably knew his doom was sure. He was in Rome, he was in captivity, and he would be killed some years 
later. There's a different tone to this letter and the ending of this letter than you see in some of the other letters in the New Testament. If you just take, for example, the letter to the Corinthians, where Paul is essentially telling them, when I come to you, uh, make sure these things are going on. That church was kind of ornery. In fact, part of the tone of that is, you know, like a father to their children of, don't make me come in there. <laughs> and, and we have at the end of some of the other letters in the New Testament, this really fond, like, um, when we're together, or I can't wait to see you. And here, at the close of this letter, there's nothing of that nature. Peter is writing in a more serious, kind of dire tone. So I want to jump back and think about our journey through this book. I'm not going back through all the themes of this book, but I, I do want to remind you um, how this came about that we were preaching this book. Um, I, I had gone in, talked to Gary, and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking about preaching through. I think it was 1 Corinthians, in fact. And Gary's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. You know, it's been this many years since the church has gone through that book. And so we were gung-ho. And this never happens, by the way. Normally, you go into the elder uh, room and say, hey, you know, here's what we're going to preach on next. And they're like, oh, okay, sounds good. And this time, it wasn't like no, but it was like, hey, what about First Peter? Fine. That's about how the conversation went in December. I think it was. Little did we know... A few months later, as we launch into this book, that we would be facing this world where we would need these words. We would need these words. The themes of this book have been helpful. Not that we're necessarily under persecution. I do think we're seeing a rise in persecution of the Christian church in our country. But not that it's risen to the level of the church in which Peter was writing to, but I think the suffering that we see and how to walk through suffering and how to handle suffering. And so it's just amazing of God's timing as we are, have been going through this book. In fact, I remember in January from my older two boys, their school, um, there were border students there, and we were getting these really weird letters in December and January saying that they weren't going to let the Asian students go home or travel back home. They were keeping them there over the holidays. And we were like, oh, well, that's crazy. One of the things you're going to hear this morning, as we're ending this letter... Um, I asked our pastors and elders, elder pastors, I, I view them as the same thing. I asked them to write uh, letters, and uh, me being um, on top of things like I normally am, I think I emailed them on Wednesday, and uh, so they, they trickled in, uh, the last ones I think getting here sometime yesterday, and what was fascinating to me is I, as I already had the sermon laid out as how these letters fit, um, fit within the sermon, and so you're going to hear that this morning. And so at various points of the sermon, I'm going to read to you what your pastors, your elders would want you to hear. Dear SMBC family, when we began our studies in First Peter in February, our world felt hopeful and optimistic. The COVID-19 virus was on the horizon, but was going to be over and done with in a couple of weeks. The economy was booming and unemployment was at record lows. Politics was both entertaining and infuriating, but we could take it in small doses. Little did we know that when we began First Peter, we would soon be living it. 
I don't mean we're living in major persecution yet, but our culture is changing so rapidly that we don't really know what to expect next, economically, politically, racially, and socially. Everything is different. Schools, sports, gatherings, and especially church. We now inhabit a pandemic world. Yes, COVID-19, but even more, a contagious loss of hope and optimism. I think I'm not alone in beginning to hate the term new normal. And so we began First Peter thinking that one day we might need its challenges. This book is aimed at helping followers of Jesus put our hope in him on display before the world that has little hope. Even though these believers had lost much of their old life, yet in Christ they and we gained everything. As Peter said in his next letter, his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. But I have to ask myself, am I looking beyond myself and remembering that as followers of Jesus, we have the power of the hope that lies within us? Am I connecting with my neighbors and the people around me so that when so many are losing hope and discouraged, I can show Jesus' love and concern for people who are in the image of God, even when I can see only half of their faces? The theme, the theme of this letter, the theme of the end of this book is this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And this is how this book began in first Peter chapter one. Look at verse three. Notice the grace of God. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. Look at the grace of God in that, that he has caused us to be born again. And notice he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Look at the grace of this to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved or kept in heaven for you. Notice the grace in this who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, You have been distressed by various trials. Do you see all the grace in that? It's all about the grace of God. This is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. So in Asia Minor, Peter is writing to them to live out their faith, to stand firm, to be aware of God and that God is. His is a plan for them and God is working even in the midst of the turmoil and the strife. God has not left them and he is doing something. I honestly never thought that a pandemic would be part of us being conformed to the image of Jesus. And God is entrusting that to us. And it's uncomfortable, not so much that it's actually uncomfortable to wear a mask or to stay socially distanced out of respect for one another's unique family situations, but uncomfortable to face that I prefer my normal, comfortable life. Being confronted with life is not with life not being normal. So normal for this half year has been particular costly in regards to missing the face to face of our church family, especially with our students. The very first book, the very first verse of the book of First Peter mentions the scattered chosen sojourners who are encountering something hard. 
How timely the instruction of God's word as we have been scattered in a way through a pandemic. I thank God that he is helping us to learn about rejoicing in the midst of various kinds of suffering. When I am most sick of a pandemic and longing for my normal, comfortable life, his words have the potential to shape me, to shape us. And I know that there are thousands grieving differently than me. I feel strongly that in this disruptive discomfort that God is inviting me to take stock of what I am primarily hoping for in my life. Is his word and his heart what I really long for? The stripping away of some normal routines is challenging, to, is challenging me to really ponder this. I envision myself and those I love more hungry. I envision myself and those I love more hungry for God's reviving heart than normal life. I envision that for our church as well. I'm curious if out of the disruptive discomfort, if God is sparking new and renewed hunger for him in our little flock. Grieve losses. It can cleanse our souls with the Lord and each other. Go deep in his word as a literal lifeline. Students especially go for his word in this time. Gift each other with the grace as with grace as we navigate uncertainty. Love each other fiercely while it's still called today. I have received that from within this church family. Thank you, grace and peace to all. I want to jump into our text and take a a little deeper look at some things. Because I I think there are some things in this, um, at the last part of this book that is so helpful for us. And the first The first thing that I want us to see is found in verse 12. Notice the middle. I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. I I like the translation of the NASB here where it says exhorting and testifying. The word testifying. Um, Some other translations, instead of testifying, the word is declaring. And I think that the word declaring accidentally that you lose the focus of what is really going on here. This word actually means um, to, to, to testify or to declare something. And the key of this is that it's through firsthand experience. There are many other words Peter could have used, but he chose this one on purpose because the goal of his reader to hear from the root of this word was that this Whatever he was testifying about was something that was firsthand that he experienced. Now, what's interesting, if you look back up at verse one of chapter five, both of these words appear here as well. Verse one of chapter five. Therefore, I exhort. There's the first word. The elders among you as your fellow elder. Notice again here. We, we talked about this several weeks ago that Peter is putting himself In the position of an elder. He could have said. I exhort you as an apostle. And use that authority. But he he sympathizes with them. He empathizes with them. And he says. I exhort the elders among you. As your fellow elder. And witness of the sufferings of Christ. And there's the word again. There's the root word again. Witness. It's the same word. And he's telling us that he has. A witness of the suffering of Christ. He tells us here that he is a witness of the sufferings that are going on. And he is a witness to the grace of God. That Peter is in it. He's not outside of it. He's in it. And so when he gives us over 30 exhortations here. When he gives us over 30 plus commands in this letter. He's not doing that from some high 
um, uh, tower looking down upon the church in some very comfortable setting. Peter is in the midst of it. And as he is exhorting the church, it's things that he knows from experience that are needed and that are important. When you put this together. You see some and think about it, you see some interesting things and I'm not going to go again, I'm not going to jump all into this, but it is interesting to me that you look at Peter's life and you see that when uh, our Lord was betrayed and when our Lord was going to trial and that Peter denied him, that the suffering that he uh, anticipated from being a follower of Jesus and he denied him to a a teenage girl, and then you see the grace of God when Jesus was resurrected, that Jesus goes to Peter and restores him, that Peter is, I think, I, I just am speculating this may have been in his mind, of the grace of God, of that Peter knows suffering and he knows God's grace. And then when we see Peter in the book of Acts and when Pentecost happens, and when the Spirit fills Peter, this really amazing thing happens is that Peter constantly in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts is in and out of jail, in and out of persecution. And we see Peter in the midst of even being in jail is rejoicing that Peter going through suffering, going through persecution, that he knows the grace of God in the midst of suffering. And now that he's in Rome and he's experiencing persecution firsthand, and I think that he knew that his doom was sure, we don't think of Peter being in Rome as being in the Vatican. Being in this nice compound that's a city in and of itself and that is gated and has its own police and everything. That's not the Rome that Peter was experiencing in this day. Peter was, ex- Peter was experiencing a hostile World, And he's telling us in the middle of these hardships from what he has seen, he is testifying, he's experiencing as an elder, as he is with the sheep, he is saying, stand firm. Another letter from one of your elder pastors begins with Romans 8, 38, 39. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, dear SNBC family. As I am writing this note to you this morning, my mind is filled with thoughts about the past week and days ahead. Matthew has just completed his required background check, drug test and COVID-19 test so that he can begin working at Alexian serving meals and washing dishes. He just made the change to finish his last year of high school online and will start Monday from home. Chris is back at ETSU working on his engineering degree from his dorm room on campus since many of his classes are not meeting as a group. I am still working from home and using a small table in Christopher's room as my office. Karen has been faced with all kinds of teaching challenges with COVID-19 with three and four-year-olds at Single Mountain Presbyterian Day School. We've been to worship services and have watched from home. I miss the faces, laughter, hugs, singing together, and praying with my church family. Nothing feels the same. Adjustments are being made with just about every aspect of our lives in order to be safe and hopefully bring a quick end to the virus, but it does, just does not seem right. Romans 8, 38 and 39 has been a bright light leading me through this present darkness. Paul lists all the things that he is convinced cannot separate us from the love of God, and look, COVID-19 is in there. Things present, nor things to come. How great is that? The love of God is still being poured out 
to us each and every day, even in the middle of the craziness. There is no such thing as social distancing in heaven. He has separated our sins from us in Christ, but nothing can separate his love towards us. He is with us, over us, around us. And even while we cannot come together fully as a body, I pray that this truth would encourage your hearts this morning while we continue dealing with all kinds of difficulties and struggles. You, SNBC family, are greatly loved. And I long for the day when we are all together. Thank you for our worship team, staff, elders, deacons, and you, the body of Christ. The true grace of God gives us a position in the family of God, which leads that we are receiving and walking in the hope of God on a daily basis and that we have a purpose and our comfort in this world is that it's not our home and that God is pouring into our life and that this enables us to run the race that He has called us to run. Next, I want to look at verse 13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Now, there are many um, commentators uh, have wild speculations about many of these verses, and so I, I'm going to just make some interpretive decisions and not walk all, all the way through all of the possibilities with you. But notice at the beginning it says, She who is in Babylon, most people think, and I believe, that this is referring to the church. There's this wild thing that this was Peter's wife. But I don't think there's much. I, I think I won't bore you with how we arrive there. But I think the correct interpretation is that she who is in Babylon is the church who is in Babylon. Which brings us to the next question. What is Peter talking about when he says the church in Babylon? One answer would be the, the same Babylon that we saw in the book of Daniel. The only problem with that is that... Um, that, was, that city was destroyed, um, and so very unlikely that that was Babylon. There was another little town uh, called Babylon, but this would be uh, kind of like, let's see if you know your Tennessee geography, uh, in speaking of Paris, meaning Paris, Tennessee. You know Paris, Tennessee? All right, yeah, huge city. Cultural icon of the South, Paris, Tennessee. What most people think, and I think is true, and I think it connects back to the, to the beginning of this book, is that when Peter is referring to Babylon, that he is using the word Babylon to refer to Rome. And the reason that I believe that is because this structure in this, in this verse, it parallels the very beginning of the letter. In the beginning of the letter, Peter lays out, he says, Peter, chosen, talks about to the people uh, uh, who have been scattered in Dispora, Peace be with you. Here, as we walk through these verses, he says, I. He says, um, she who is also chosen, meaning you are chosen. In Babylon, peace be with you. And if you remember, at the very beginning of our study, one of the things that we talked about is the language used in the very beginning of this book that what was happening was that Peter was taking his readers, these, these people in Asia Minor, and he was enveloping them into the people of God so that they knew who they were as God's people and that they were very important. 
that we know these words take us back to uh, Babylon in the Old Testament and people in captivity, God's chosen people. And over and over and over again, the thing that these people could hold on to as God's people is that he promised that he would get them through. If they would cling to him, that he was he had a remnant and he was going to get them through. And so what we have here, the point is that Rome, like Babylon, is a big, powerful, controlling country force, but it is not ultimate. Rome is not ultimate church. Rome, Rome is not our home and it is not the kingdom that we serve. That as believers, we are a chosen race, a people of God whose home, whose home is in eternity with Christ. That you are a part of God's story. You're not forgotten. The promises to God's people are the promises that He is giving to you. You are a part of the story of God. For us, this is a bigger story. And we are just strangers and aliens here. And it's amazing when we think back to the Old Testament that God did it. He brought Christ And now in the New Testament and now as New Testament believers that we see that he will come back again. And this is where our hope and our trust is placed and is in the second coming of Christ when he will bring all things like they were supposed to be. And we will spend eternity with him. All the promises in God are true. My dear friends and brothers and sisters of Signal Mountain Bible Church, we've been so blessed over the years now Concern and even fear has gripped many of us in the past few months. The beginning of this current trial called COVID-19 seems long ago and has clouded our memory of life before COVID. As I thought about that a few days ago, it reminded me of the Israelites when God rescued them from Egypt. We sometimes criticize God's chosen people for their rejection of God. They wandered for 40 years, much more than five or six months. Are we questioning God's provision or even His love for us? Let me encourage you. 2 Chronicles 20.15 testifies that God is on our side. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the battle is, your, is not yours but God's. Isaiah 41.10 ends with these words. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And who is at the right hand of God Almighty? None other than Jesus Christ. Satan would have us shrink back from boldly proclaiming the gospel. Don't do it. Our current sermon series illustrates Peter's exhortation to overcome the trials and rely on the strength given us through the Holy Spirit. What a privilege. What a blessing. Share it boldly. For encouragement to others you may meet, read Matthew 6, 25 and 34, where we find this phrase in verse 26, comparing us to the birds of the air. Are not ye of much more value than they? God loves you. We as elders love you and consider it an honor and blessing to pray for you. Lastly, and you know when I say lastly, it means about 10 or 15 more minutes, but it is the last, moving towards the last point. And I think it's vital for you and the people that Peter was writing to in Asia Minor To get this. And what Peter is saying all throughout this is that you are loved. 
And then he's going to encourage them to love one another. I had titled this section, and some of you in here will like this. Um, This is for Elijah. That what you need to know when you come in here this morning is that you have been kissed and you need to kiss other people. Some of you are looking at me funny. So I hope you, I hope you get that the point is not that you actually kiss people who are not your husband or wife or sister or whatever. The point, the point is not the kiss. Now, churches over the ages have taken these commands that we see here and that we see that Paul write as well and, and take it to mean a literal physical kiss and they have missed the whole point of the text. They've missed the point of the text. And so what I hope that you see this morning is the point of the text. And you'll leave here wanting to be, desiring to be a kissing person. And that you will realize that you have been kissed and be willing to kiss other people. The first thing in understanding this is that we've got to notice the family language in this text. Verse 12. Through Salvanus. This, this man is is thought to be Silas, who we see all throughout uh, the New Testament. And notice what he calls Silas. He calls Silas our, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. Now, I would love to go on a journey with you uh, that, that goes in depth about this man, Silas. But suffice it this morning for me to just give you a couple of things. First, one of the things that we see, uh, one of the places we see Silas over and over again is in the writings of Paul. In 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and in 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions in the greetings that Silas greets you also. If you were to look in the book of Acts, one of the things that you would see that Silas is, is with Uh, the apostles and he is in and out of jail he's getting thrown out of cities and here we see him with Peter and I think it's right that not only Peter calls him faithful because he has proven that he is a faithful person but notice the word that you Peter uses to describe him he is a faithful brother he's not a biological brother he's much it's a much more deeper relationship than that he's a spiritual brother Notice also, as we go um, on a little further, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And notice that there again, the church in Babylon, chooses, chosen together with you, that again, Peter is pushing together this group and saying, family of God, close connection, we're part of the family of God together. But then he also says that she sends you greetings, the church sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. We first meet this Mark uh, in the book of Acts. Again, we see this man Mark pop up that Peter, when he was out of prison, uh, went to Mary's house and he met her son named Mark. And then we see Mark going along with the apostles, particularly Paul and Barnabas on many of their journeys. Uh, And there was a a little bit of a shake up there. And then what we see is that somehow in this text and in this place that Mark had joined with Peter and that Peter calls Mark my son. Again, this is not his biological son, but what Peter again is saying is that this man is much deeper, it's much more than my biological son. This is my spiritual son, and he sends you greetings as well. He's saying we here at the church 
in Rome, we together, your family, send you greetings. When I came on staff 10 years ago, I fell in love with the people of Single Mountain Bible Church. You love the Lord and take seriously reading and learning His Word. You're kind and gracious. Though each local body has its challenges, it has been a joy to serve you the past decade. When the pandemic hit a few months ago, my first concern was how we would love and care for you when we were isolating. I want you to know how much the pastors and elders of SNBC love you all and pray for you often. As you've heard us say before, we long for the day when we can see you all again at the church. But until then, I continue to pray for you. I want to encourage you and to be diligent in staying in, to be diligent in staying in God's word and prayer. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribula- tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Romans twelve, twelve. So what Peter is doing here, as he is greeting them from all these people, and he's using these terms of family and closeness. He ends with this command and he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. In this term, this idea in in this day and age of when this was written of being kissed, this was something that was something that a family would do. Some cultures still do this. When you see certain cultures and families come together in that culture, there is a kiss that happens. This is something that is deep and it shows, it displays a deep tie, a a deepness towards one another. And what I want to ask you this morning, with so many things attempting to pull us apart and divide us, is can we love one another? Can you imagine... Can you embrace the reality that God has brought us together for such a time as this? Let us not forget what unites us and that we have been united by God together for His purpose. It's not an accident. I love you. You are the family to my family. The loss of our regular communion together has been hard, but sadly, it has become normal. I can live day to day like many of you and get caught up in this whirlwind of complacency. This is the place where Satan, the roaring lion, is happy to find us. Standing alone with our heads down or looking around, not aggressively running our race or fixing our eyes on the prize. One of the things that wrenches me back to reality is the church. Being here, either online or in person, and seeing you, or just knowing that we're worshiping together at the same time, joys my heart, and I pray that it's this, it has the same impact on you. It's easy to think that it wasn't supposed to be like this, but actually, yes it was. We've all been sovereignly placed here at this time, together. Be here for each other. Pray for each other by name. Reach out and connect as you are able. Do not forsake the body, for the head of the body has not forsaken us. This is from Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. So what I'm going to ask you this morning 
is would you kiss one another? And I'm asking you to do this creatively. I'm not asking you to literally kiss one another. But what I am asking you is that would you greet one another? And this is not talking about just a greeting, but this is talking about a deeper thing that's going on. What I'm asking you is like the elders have done for you, would you consider maybe writing an email or a letter to folks in the church? A word of encouragement. Would you pray and write and pray and call and pray and if you're comfortable and meet? This is vital. Going through this pandemic has shown in a more poignant way my deep connection with this body of believers. We've been together and we've practiced the one another's in many different ways. I have felt a deep connection through deaths, hardships, shared trial, weddings, births, and celebrations. But this pandemic has put obstacles in our most basic and significant means of being one. There is a connection made through singing, communion, sitting under teaching, just seeing each other that is supernatural. I have known it to be so in my life both here and abroad, when meeting and being with brothers and sisters in Christ, even ones I meet for the first time, this shared oneness is supernatural. We come out of the harsh culture together and spiritual refreshment naturally takes place through such small means. The absence of sharing these small means with so many of the people who we normally see is taking its toll in ways that I don't think we fully realize. I want to encourage all of us myself included, to put our risk assessment before the Lord and to do whatever creative means we can, we can to get back to our church community. Tell the Lord that it's important to you and think of ways to get back together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as you have inspired your servant Peter to end this letter to these folks who were suffering and under persecution. God, I pray that we would take encouragement and see the means of grace in the ending of this letter. God, I pray that we would take it to heart. God, I pray that we would see the grace that you have bestowed upon us. The grace that runs all the way through our calling and our salvation to the time that we are at home with you in glory, whether that be death through death or whether it be through the coming, the second coming of your son. God, as we are here and as we are left, God, I pray that we would find the boldness to know and to stand in and stand on the fact that we are your people. And it is no accident that we are your church in the middle of this global pandemic. And God, help us to be church help us to love one another fiercely and creatively and help us to love others boldly pointing them to the only place the only place of hope and that is salvation that is only found through your son and it's in his name that we pray amen